You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And on a beautiful night here at the Coliseum, the lights have taken full effect. Welcome to Taking Effect, an Oakland A's podcast with Ken Korak. Now, with an inside look at the A's, here's Ken. Sean Doolittle's baseball career has almost been the story of two lives. He was drafted by the A's out of the University of Virginia as a first baseman and rose to AAA as one of the best prospects in the system before a knee and then a wrist injury derailed a hugely promising career. And as Sean explains in this interview, he was face-to-face with the end of his life in baseball. But he made a speedy transition to pitching, something he was used to doing going back to his college days, but still starting in single-A ball and winding up as a key member of the A's bullpen during their great second-half run in 2012 was a remarkable professional transformation. Sean's interests and work off the field, much of it in conjunction with his girlfriend Erin Dolan, has been well chronicled, so much so that ESPN.com recently dubbed him the most interesting man in baseball. His intellectual curiosity knows no boundaries, and his desire to make a difference has made him not just an interesting man, but one whose esteem around the game seems to grow with every day. And speaking of days, he'll have a day of sorts on the A's next homestand when the Doolittle Metallica Gnome with Sound is the giveaway for 15,000 fans on the 30th of April when the A's meet the Astros. I sat down with Sean at the end of the A's last homestand, the day after he allowed a ninth-inning home run to Eric Hosmer that sealed the Royals' 4-2 win over the A's. But for Sean Doolittle, there was solace in knowing that after missing most of the 2015 season with a shoulder injury, he's healthy and throwing with no restrictions this year. Yeah, what a weird roller coaster year it's been already. I mean, we're only, what, 10 or 11 games in at this point, and I feel like I'm throwing the ball well. I made a couple mistakes, but, it, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at film and stuff like that, and I've really only given up, at this, up to this point, three hard-hit balls all year. Unfortunately, all three of them left the ballpark, and two of them came at a, a very, very costly time for the team. But, you know, like you said, I'm healthy. I, I like the way uh, I'm throwing the ball. Uh, I could probably execute a little bit better, be a little crisper. But at the end of the day, it's also an occupational hazard and part of being a reliever. But, you know, I'm feeling good, and, and uh, the worm will turn sooner than later. You know, you're one of those guys, I think, who's had a, a tough go with injuries going back to your time when you were a first baseman. And I know from experience, because I missed the first half of the season last year, Ken Maka used to only half-jokingly talk about guys who were on the DL, that they were non-entities. How disconnected did you feel last year when you were on the DL? Being on the DL is tough, and, and I, I think the mental grind is the hardest part. I mean, you, you can come in and, and you can do your exercises and, and you can get that stuff done, uh, and that stuff's done you know, normally within two or three hours. But the mental part of it, like you said, not, not really feeling like you're a part of the team and, and not really being able to contribute. You, know, you, you, you tend to feel sometimes like you're in the way almost, so last year I, I tried to I tried to stay in the background as much as I could, but you know I, I also tried to take advantage of the opportunity that I had of 
you know, having a front row seat to watch Major League Baseball, and I, I try to learn stuff, and I would kind of eavesdrop on conversations in the dugout, and I would watch games from different vantage points that you don't get to watch when you're in the bullpen, or I'd go up in the video room and, and watch stuff up there and try to pick apart certain things. Or So I, I tried to learn a lot uh, and tried to, you know, make the most out of, out of that uh, situation that I had, but it, DL life is tough. I've talked to, to ball players who are trying to come back and when they're rehabbing, they talk about going through like a roller coaster emotionally when you wonder, am I really going to get all the way back? Did that happen for you? Absolutely. I mean, up until last year, I'd never had, I'm knock on wood, I'd, I'd never had an arm injury before. I'd never dealt with any shoulder issues. So I was kind of feeling my way through it. And, you know, you you have good days and bad days and you try not to get too high or too low on yourself but it gets tough when when you know that you're in it for the long haul and you'll have a day where the ball's coming out really good and your shoulder feels great and you know you feel really optimistic you know, it's only a matter of time before I'm back and then maybe the next day you come in and it's it's really cranky it's tight it's sore it's achy and 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 your 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 mental outlook and your all that optimism that you had the day before it's it's tough to hang on to that and and that that kind of from day to day, not really knowing how your body's going to feel when you wake up, how it's going to respond to what you did the day before. Like you said, riding that mental roller coaster can be tough sometimes. Sean, I wanted to go back to uh, your time at Virginia and when the A's drafted you, and then you come up as an athletic in the minor league system as a first baseman, but you also pitched and were a successful pitcher in college. Was it a no-brainer when the A's drafted you that you were going to be a position player back then? Uh, it, it was apparently it was for somebody, but the A's made that decision. That was, um, I think, Billy and and David and, and his guys decided that they liked me better as a first baseman. And my whole goal when I went to Virginia, Virginia was one of the few schools that was going to let me pitch and hit. Most schools just wanted me to pitch. And when I went there, my goal was to come out of there and like be able to have been a, a, a high draft pick at, at either one of the two and make somebody else make that decision and try to make that decision as difficult as possible for somebody else. And um, teams were calling me, asking me if I wanted to be a hitter or a pitcher, and I really didn't have a preference. I, 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 I was enjoying doing what I did at college, and I knew I could only do one at the next level. And most teams saw me as a, as a first baseman, but, you know, for a kid that, you know, we used – that, that grew up going to games here when he was a little kid to, to be drafted by the A's um, was, a, was, was an awesome experience. That was a very special day. I remember seeing you in the spring playing first base. <laughs> Phoenix Beauty back in the Cactus League, and this was a long time ago now, and I'm not exaggerating that talking to scouts, you were the talk of the spring, at least maybe the top two or three players that they would talk about back then as guys who were on the verge and maybe even a can't-miss did you feel that a legitimate big-time major league career as a first baseman was just around the corner for you? Like most kids in their early 20s, I was very confident that I was going <laughs> Cocky? to... A little bit, maybe a little bit, that I was going to have a long and productive career as a major league first baseman or, or, or maybe even a right fielder. I, I'd started playing some outfield as well, so... But I was able – I got off to a pretty decent start. I mean, I, I did well in the Arizona Fall League um, against some pretty good competition. The times I got to spend in big league camp, I, I swung the bat pretty well. 
and my second full season in minor league baseball, I was, you know, starting in AAA, hitting in third or fourth in the middle of the order. So, I mean, what did I know? I, I, of, of course, as a young kid, I mean, you think it's, it's only a matter of time, right, before you get up there, and you, you don't plan on you don't plan on the injuries. You, you think you're invincible, and things happen for a reason, I guess. What happened with your knee back then? Well, I was dealing with some – I had some patellar tendonitis. It was something that I was dealing with during spring training uh, that year back in 09, but it, 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 it started to kind of get progressively worse into the, into the start of the season there in Sacramento and AAA. And, but it wasn't something that was keeping me from playing. I was still in there. I think I played every game up to the day I got hurt. I, uh, I, I fielded a ball in right field, and when I went to crow hop to throw the ball home, like you know, I, I shifted my weight on, onto my left leg, my back leg, and it, it uh, kind of locked up and, and gave out, and uh, I knew something was wrong. And then later you had the wrist injury too. Yeah, so I ended up having two knee surgeries to come back from the knee uh, injury. And then I'm literally two days away from going back to Sacramento to rejoin the team as a first baseman in the spring of 2011. And I swung and missed at a pitch in a, in a minor league game uh, in extended spring training. And I, I heard and felt a, a loud pop in my wrist. I Just a, a swing and miss. I mean... Uh, it was a really kind of a freak thing, and uh, it turns out I, I subluxed a tendon. I, I popped it out of the uh, the sheath that it kind of sits in, and, and the bone. And it was, uh, you know, I, I took the I took the tape off my wrist. It was immediately swollen, and it was just a really absolutely devastating blow to be that close, go through all that rehab for the last two years, and be two days away. They told me that morning I was two days away from rejoining the team. You know, just play today and tomorrow, and then you're out of here. And and to be that close and then get injured, the timing of it was was really difficult. In the dark, quiet moments by yourself back then, did you think that was it? Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, um, I started looking at college courses again. I I was I contacted my agent and I said, let's uh, let's reach out let's reach back out to the school see if we can track down my old like athletic academic advisor and see what i need to do maybe to re-enroll i i only have two semesters left you know i could probably knock it out while i'm maybe while i'm on the dl or or in the off season or something because i i wasn't i i wasn't quite at the end of my rope but i was really close and it was it was time to in my in my mind back then it was time to start thinking of a contingency plan and but my head was spinning. Yeah. But at least it was the right wrist and not the left, right? That's right. That's right. And uh, and coincidentally, the, the the knee that I injured was my left knee, which is now my, my post leg, you know, the, the most important part of your delivery. That's your base. So we got that fixed, and it was the right wrist. So silver linings, I guess, um, you know, allowed me to, to start this next chapter in my career. Was it Keith Lippman who broached the subject of transitioning to – try to become a pitcher again it was Keith Lippman came up to me this was about a week or so after I had injured my wrist and they decided I didn't need surgery they just kind of set it in a cast uh, and this cast went from the knuckles on my hand up past my elbow so I was kind of my and my arm stayed bent at like a 45 degree angle to give you a visual it kind of looked like c-3po how he can't straighten his arms out and i couldn't straighten my right arm out and this was arizona in in the summer man it was itchy and it was it was hot my arm was always sweaty it was gross but um he came up to me and he was like hey 
how about you start a long toss program? And I, I kind of looked at him. I remember being like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, and he was like, well, it'll get you out of the training room. It'll give you something else to do rather than just, you know, your, your normal routine of, uh, of DL life. And it'll kind of break up the monotony a little bit. And in his words, he said, in case we have to activate your insurance plan, you know, we won't have to start from scratch. We'll get you some arm strength built up. So it was interesting because I started this long toss program and I couldn't put a glove on my hand because of my wrist. I had this cast on, so I had to have somebody stand next to me and catch like I was a quarterback warming up for a game or something. Is that your brother? It ended up being my brother in in a weird twist of fate, weird turn of events. My brother ended up having to come down to Arizona because he strained a, a flexor tendon in his forearm so he couldn't throw so I could throw but I couldn't catch and he could catch but he couldn't throw so combined we were like one uh, healthy pitcher but um, he ended up being kind of my catcher slash pitching coach slash therapist essentially we, we kind of guru guru yeah we kept each other we kept each other uh, in a good spot mentally and and we got to spend a lot of time together that summer. He was, he was the guy that I relied on a lot uh, while I was transitioning into pitching and, and, and trying to relearn a lot of that stuff. I apologize in advance if this is a bizarre question, but you're a pretty introspective guy. Is the Sean Doolittle as a pitcher different from the Doolittle as a first baseman in terms of your personality or your identity as you see yourself as a ball player? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, I think as a... I never actually thought about this, but now that you said it, I he was different. He that guy was um, man, that guy was a lot more of a meathead, to be honest. I mean, you know, you're first baseman, you you like to to you know hit home runs and stuff. The guy was in the weight room a lot, doing a lot of bench press and uh, and bicep curls. That's for sure. I think the pitch. I think the 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 pitcher version of Sean Doolittle. You're right. Is a lot more introspective and thinks a lot more and is more of a uh, an introvert so the espn.com article that came out that called you the most interesting man in baseball <laughs> that article doesn't get written if you're still a first baseman i don't think so i don't i i would like to think that i would still be able to do some some cool stuff and and and, and i would have done some special things uh both on the field and in this community but I think when, when you go through something like that with the injuries, I think it changes your perspective. And, and if you're going to be, if you're going to find success after that, if you're going to come out of that uh, a better person, you, you have to, you have to change your perspective a little bit. You make some changes. You see things through a different lens and, and um, you're more appreciative of certain opportunities that you have. And I think that I think it changed me a lot. I think it changed me a lot for the better as a person, as well as obviously uh, salvaging my career. You seem to be someone who appreciates the fact that you have an intellectual curiosity. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I do. I mean, I never really thought about it, but I, I mean, I ask a lot of questions. I enjoy learning. I enjoy. I try to keep an open mind so that I can. Um, you know, get as much information and knowledge about anything really as possible. And yeah, when you're a relief pitcher, you have a lot of downtime. So I, I do have plenty of time for that. Well, you and your girlfriend, Aaron Dolan, uh, you've been involved with some wonderful causes here. The LGBT night, raising funds for that. 
uh, Syrian refugees and the, the dinner that you guys provided during this past offseason in Chicago, all of your work with the veterans. It's so exemplary what you're doing. Where do you think all that came from? I, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, with how I was raised. You know, I was raised in a military family, and that's something I'm very proud of. And there was always there was a lot of teaching going on with my parents, and they were making sure that um, I was developing as a as a person and not just as an athlete. And um, I think when when I when I I got to the big leagues, I think I realized that um, I had a chance to give back and uh, had an opportunity to maybe help some people because as much as you might not realize it like when you're when you're going through it as a player like you have a built-in platform people will listen to you just because of the logo that's on the back of your hat and um it can seem kind of silly to say it to put it that way but at the end of the day like you can use it to help a lot of people and do a lot of good so uh we just tried to make the most of this opportunity both on and off the field remember the whole thing with charles barkley years ago where their athletes were a role model or who who were the people who were role models? I've always felt, Sean, that we all are, that we all should try to li- We all can't live up to that, but try to live lives that can have a positive impact in, in our community and around the world, I guess. Absolutely. I, I, I think uh, as much as it's, it's, part of, it's part of what comes with this job, it, 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 it's part of the responsibility that you have because whether, whether you like it or not, people are are looking up to you people are watching your every move and um it can feel it can be a little stressful sometimes um you know knowing that everything you do is under a microscope but i think you you can also use it as a positive like you said and try to set a good example and, and be a good person and and be a good teammate i mean trying to help your community the from the, the guys in your clubhouse to the people in your community just being a good person uh, I think that rubs off on people, and it can create more good people, you know? How do you combat that? Because with social media today, everybody analyzes everything that you do. And when there may be some criticism of stuff that you do, how do you deal with that? Well, this year, I actually deleted the apps off my phone. And I still have them on my, on my iPad and stuff. If I, need to, if I need to get a message out, I can still do it, obviously, but... I think it just got to a point where um, it was it, 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 it can just be a distraction and it can just be a, uh, some negativity that you don't need. Even if you – and the thing with social media is it, it's so – there's so much stuff on there that even if you're not looking for it, you might just be scrolling through. Like it, your name pops up and some, you read something negative about yourself. And, and no matter what you say, like it affects you on some level. And if you see enough of them, like – it ends up inside your head and it's just it kind of takes the fun out of it and um you know that's not something that i need right now nobody's going to be more critical of myself than i am you know nobody takes a blown save or a loss harder than i do um so rather than having to read other people's thoughts about the issue um you know I, i i took it off my phone and 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 i decided you know it's time to put the blinders on and stay focused and and really uh, buckle down on, on, on working on some things that I have to change. I think those kinds of things you're talking about can just be clutter. Yeah. They can get in the way of the vision of what you have for yourself yes. and, and who you want to be. Exactly. I mean, like you said, like it, it just it, 
it just gets in the way it's like dead weight it's not it's not helping you reach any of your goals um so much stuff on there is it, it isn't positive it, and and when you're I feel like I try to be like a happy person. I try to have I, I like good energy. I'm a big believer in that in in that kind of stuff and, and positive energy and and uh, I just wasn't feeling it on there anymore, you know. And and uh, there's a lot of positives for social media, the way that it can connect people and the this the things you can can read and learn and stuff like that. But at the same time, there was also a lot of negativity on there that um, was just getting in the way. Speaking of energy, one thing I, I was wondering about, because you make the transition to pitching, you start the year in the low minors, you, and you work your way up, and that happens really fast. Mm -hmm. You get to the big leagues, and now the A's are in a pennant race, and you're coming out of the bullpen in critical situations. The energy in, in those situations, those opportunities, what was that like for you to deal with that? Because you really hadn't been pitching as a pro for that long. You know what? I wish... I wish I could go back to that, to having that mindset because I wasn't thinking about anything. I was enjoying the moment. I was doing so much of it by instinct and by feel. I wasn't thinking about how, when, when, do, when should I break my hands? What's my front side doing? What, where should I, where should I start this guy off inside or outside? I was just going out there and competing because in a, in a weird way, not to downplay it, but I kind of felt like I was playing with house money. I mean, I make the switch to pitching, and three months into the season, I'm in the major leagues. And I remember thinking to myself, like, as I'm jogging onto the field for my debut, like, I literally had to tell myself, like, we're going to see how this goes. I have no idea how my stuff's going to play at this level. I had just started pitching three months ago, and here I am in the Coliseum. I mean, this is – it was a whirlwind experience, and, and – um, I tried to enjoy it as much as I could. I tried to learn as much as I could. Um, I worked hard, and um, but I think that's the biggest thing. I look back on it sometimes, and uh, like especially, you know, when things aren't going right. Like now, sometimes you're you're out there and you find your your brain's going a thousand miles an hour in your head, and you're thinking about all these different things that that you were thinking about when you were watching film the night before or something like that. But back then, man, in 2012 when I was a rookie, all I was thinking about was competing and going out there and having fun. And I think um, I think that kind of allowed me to simplify things a little bit and, and have some success. That's a beautiful thing, though, back because you found the zen. Yeah. I guess there was no self-doubt. There were no ramifications. Right. Nothing crept in that got, that got into your head other than I'm in the moment and yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. That's a pretty good lesson, I think. I think I think now that now that I think about it, I think there's something to that. Can I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. I mean, I was having a conversation with some of the guys before, and and uh, you know, less than less than twenty thousand people have ever put on a major league uniform. Like, there's gonna be more people than that at the game today. And I think when you think about that, and you realize it helps you realize the opportunity that you have to play in the major leagues and. And, and and realize the moment and, and go out there and seize the moment. Try to have as much fun with it as you can. Compete your butt off. Continue to work hard, but go out there and just lay it all out there and see what happens. Your life didn't end because you gave up a home run to Eric Hosmer. <laughs> it did not. The sun came up the next day and everything. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> hey, man, this has really been fun for me. Thanks. Really insightful. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.